Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast. For Book 3, Chapter 15, we meet Thomas's love interest during their breakup. And that's the end of Part 3. What are your thoughts on that? Techrific says, meta comment. Almost every chapter feels like I'm reading a short story. Each chapter has a beginning, middle and end. And often with twist and the hallmark of short stories. Does anyone else feel this way? The chapter... Chapters are so self-contained, yet contributes to the overall story, so it works as a novel, but it's interesting and I can appreciate why Hemingway and Mishima were both so impressed with the man's writing. The pacing is so good, and I can't believe we're starting part four tomorrow. Uh, Swim said the mama fish, she says, no, I haven't noticed that. For this specific chapter regarding Thomas and the shop girl, I would use the term vignette. It is a striking example. A definition of a vignette. Poetic slices of life, a literary device that bring us deeper into a story. Vignettes step away from the action momentarily to zoom in for a closer examination of a particular character, concept or place. Use, writers use vignettes to shed light on something that would, would not be visible in the story's main plot. Um, good word for it. I hadn't noticed really either, Tekrific, but now that you mention it, yeah, I can see that each chapter kind of has a bit of a structure of a short story, especially the one we just read. Um, really felt like we just kind of stepped into a different story for a minute there. Jan Brunt says, And uh, you're not wrong about the pacing. It has been quite inconsistent. This is going back to my comment that I made in yesterday's episode, saying that the pacing is quite weird. Um, I think. We're up to part three and it's still kind of... The, the story moves at a weird pace and you almost can't tell who the main character is or who the main characters are. I guess you've got a set who are pretty obvious, the Buddenbrooks, but still, like, it's hard to project from here onwards who we're going to follow or what's going to happen next. And I feel like usually you can do that a little easier. Um, it's been quite inconsistent. For example, having all of Tony's adolescence play out in a single chapter while the Grunlich confrontation with Papa Schwarzkopf is also given a full chapter. I suspect Tony will be on the back burner for a while, settling into an unhappy marriage, isolated in a villa outside of Hamburg, while we will become more acquainted with Tom Christian Clothilde in the next books. I also suspect the Buddenbrook's finances will become even more strained very soon. Also, what a difference between the parting of Tony and Morton to that of Tom and Anna. Is quite a different personality altogether, though one might attribute some of his good nature to his relative personal freedom compared to Tony. Laura Weistich said there was something weird about how Tom told Anna twice that she had not demeaned herself so far. Um, it's interesting. Tom has made a few comments to, uh, um, not Anna, to uh, Tony kind of comparing their situations and alluding to that, you know, he's got a rough situation too, and now we're starting to understand his situation better. And um, he does seem like an interesting character. I feel like we're going to get to know him better, and then if we reflect back on the previous times we've seen him, his character will be more clear. Book 4, Chapter 1 goes like this. April 30th, 1846. Dear Mama, a thousand thanks for your letter in which you tell me of Armgard von Schilling's betrothal to her von Mayboom of Poppenraid. Armgard herself sent me an invitation very fine with a gilt edge, 
and also a letter in which she expresses herself as enchanted with her bridegroom. He sounds like a very handsome and refined man. How happy she must be. Everybody is getting married. I have had a card from Munich, Munich too, from Eva Ewers. I hear she's getting a director of a brewery. Now I must ask you something, dearest Mama. Why do I hear nothing of a visit from the Bunbrooks? Are you waiting for an official invitation from Grunlich? If so, it isn't necessary. And besides, when I, remi- when I remind him to ask you, he says, Yes, yes, child, your father, ha- father has something else to do. Or do you think you would be disturbing me? Oh, dear me. No, quite the contrary. Perhaps you think you would make me homesick again. But don't you know I am a reasonable woman, already middle-aged and experienced. I've just been to coffee at Madame Caselau's, a neighbour of mine. They are pleasant people, and our left-hand neighbour, the Gusmans, but there is a good deal of space between the houses, are sociable people too. We have two friends who are at the house a good deal, both of whom live out here, Dr. Classon, of whom I must tell you more later, and Kesselmayer, the banker, Grunlich's intimate friend. You don't know what a funny old man he is. He has a stubby white beard and thin black and white hair on his head that looks like down and waves in the breeze. In the breeze. <clears throat> he makes funny motions with his head like a bird and talks all the time, so I call him the magpie. But Grunlich has forbidden me to say that because magpies steal and her Kesselmayer is an honourable man. He stoops when he walks and rows along with his arms. His fuzz only reaches halfway down his head in the back and from there on his neck is all red and seamy. There is something so awfully sprightly about him. Sometimes he pats me on the cheek and says, You good little wifey, what a blessing for Grunlich that he has got you. Then he takes out his eyeglasses. He always wears three of them on long cords that are forever getting tangled up in his white waistcoat and sticks them on his nose which he wrinkles up to make them stop on, and looks at me with his mouth open until I have to laugh right in his face, but he takes no offence at that. Grunlich is very busy. He drives into town in the morning in a little yellow wagon and often does not come back till late. Sometimes he sits down with me and reads the paper. When we go into society, for example, the Kesselmayers or to console goods stickers on the Alster Dam or Senator Bock in City Hall Street, we have to take a hired coach. I have begged Grunlich again and again to get a coupe, for it is really a, necess- a necessity out here. He has half promised, but strange to say he does not like to go into society with me, and is evidently displeased when I visit people in the town. Do you suppose he's jealous? Our villa, which I've already described to you in detail, dear Mama, is really very pretty and is much prettier by reason of the new furnishings. You could not find a floor in the upstairs sitting room, all in brown silk. The dining room next is prettily wainscotted. The chairs cost 25 marks apiece. I sit in the pensy room, which we use as a sitting room. There is also a little room for smoking and playing cards. The salon, which takes up the whole other half of the parterie, has new yellow blinds now and looks very well. Above are the bed, bath and dressing rooms and the servants' quarters. We have a little groom for the yellow wagon. I'm fairly well satisfied with the two maid servants. I'm not sure they are quite honest, but thank God I don't have to look after every cruiser. In short, everything is really worthy of the family and the firm. 
And now, dear Moa, comes the most important part of my letter, which I have kept till the last. I, a while ago, I was feeling rather queer, not exactly ill and yet not quite well. I told Dr. Classen about it when I had the chance. He is a little bit of a man with a big head and a still bigger hat. He carries a cane with a flat round handle made of a piece of bone and walks with it pressed against his whiskers, which are almost light green from being dyed so many years. Well, you should have seen him. He did not answer my question at all, but jerked his eyeglasses, twinkled, his little eyes wrinkled his nose at me, it looks like a potato, snickered, giggled, and starred, stared so impertinently that I did not know what to do. Then he examined me and said everything was going on well, only I must drink mineral water because I am perhaps a little anemic. Oh, Mama, do tell Papa about it so he can put it in the family book. I'll write you again as soon as possible, you may be sure. Give my love to Papa Christian Clara Cathilda and Ida Jungman. I wrote to Thomas just lately. Your dutiful daughter, Antony. <clears throat> August 2nd, 1846. My dear Thomas, I have read with pleasure the news of your meeting with Christian in Amsterdam. It must have been a happy few days for both of you. I have no word as yet of your brother's further journey to England via Ostend. But I hope that with God's mercy it has been safely accomplished. It may not be too late since Christian has decided to give up a professional career for him to learn much that is valuable from his chief, Mr. Richardson. May he prosper and find blessing in the mercantile line. Mr. Richardson, Threadneedle Street, is, as you know, a close business friend of our house, I consider myself lucky to have placed both my sons with such friendly disposed firms. You are now experiencing the good result of such a policy, and I feel profound satisfaction that Her Van Callen has already raised your salary in the quarter of a year you have been with him, and that he will continue to give you advancement. I am convinced that you have shown, and will continue to show yourself, by your industry and good behaviour, worthy of these favours. I regret to hear that your health is not so good as it should be. What you write me of nervousness reminds me of my own youth when I was working in Antwerp and had to go to Eames to take a cure. If anything of the sort seems best for you, my son, I am ready to encourage you with advice and assistance, although I am avoiding such expense for the rest of us in these times of political unrest. However, your mother and I took a trip to Hamburg in the middle of June to visit your sister, Tony. Her husband had not invited us, but he received us with the greatest cordiality and devoted himself to us so entirely during the two days of our visit that he neglected his business and hardly left me time for a visit to do champs in the town. Antonia is in her fifth month, and her physician assures her that everything is going on in a normal and satisfactory way. I have still to mention a letter from her van der Kellen, from which I was pleased to learn that you are a favoured guest in his family circle. You are now, my son, at an age to begin to harvest the fruits of the upbringing your parents gave you. It may be helpful to you if I tell you that you, that at your age, both in Antwerp and Bergen, I formed a habit of making myself useful and agreeable to my principles, and this was the greatest service to me, aside from the honour of associating with the family of the head of the firm, one acquires an advocate in the person of the principal's wife, and she may prove invaluable in the undesirable contingency of an oversight at the office or the dissatisfaction of your chief for some slight cause or other. 
As regards your business plans for the future, my son, I rejoice in the lively interest they indicate without being able entirely to agree with them. You start with the idea that the market for our native products, for instance, grain, rapeseed, hide and skins, wool, oil, oil cake, bones, etc. is our chief concern and you think it would be of advantage for you to turn yourself to the commission branch of the business. I once occupied myself with these ideas at a time when the competition was small. It has since distinctly increased. And I made some experiments in them. My journey to England had for its chief purpose to look out connections for there for my undertakings. To this end I went as far as Scotland and made many valuable acquaintances, but I soon recognised the precarious nature of an export trade hither and decided to discourage further expansion in that direction. Thus I kept in mind the warnings of our forefather, the founder of the firm, which he bequeathed to us, his descendants, my son, attend with zeal to thy business by day, but do none that hinders thee from thy sleep at night. This principle I intend to keep sacred now as in the past, though one is sometimes forced to entertain a doubt on contemplating the operations of people who seem to get on better without it. I'm thinking of Strunk or Hagenstrom, who have made such notable progress while our own business seems almost at a standstill. You know that the house has not enlarged its business since the setback consequent upon the death of your grandfather, and I pray to God that I shall be able to turn over the business to you in its present state. I have an experienced and cautious adviser in our head clerk, Marcus. If only your mother's family would hang on to their grosschen a little better. The inheritance is a matter of real importance for us. I am usually full of business and civic work, I have been made alderman of the board of the Bergen Line, also city deputy for the finance department, the chamber of commerce, the auditing commission and the Alms House of St. Anne, one after the other. Your mother, Clara and Glathilde, send greetings, also several gentlemen, Senator Mollendorf, Dr. Oberdeek, Consul Kistenmarker, Gosh the Broker, C.F. Koppen, and her Marcus in the office have asked to be remembered. God's blessing on you, my dear son. Work, pray, and save. With affectionate regards, your father. Dear honoured parents. Sorry, eight, uh, October 8th, 1846. Dear honoured parents, the undersigned is overjoyed to be able to advise you of the happy accouchement half an hour ago of your daughter, my beloved wife, Antony. It is by God's will a daughter. I can find no words to express my joyful emotion. The health of the dear patient as well as of the infant is, unexcept is unexceptionable. Dr. Clausen is entirely satisfied with the way things have gone and Frau Gross Gorgeous, the midwife, says it was simply nothing at all. Excitement obliges me to lay down my pen. I commend myself to my worthy parents with the most respectful affection, B. Grunlich. If it had been a boy, I had a very pretty name. As it is, I wanted to name her Meta, but Grunlich is for Erica. Alright, there we go. Another chapter for you. All um, communicated in letters. And it seems like we've been pregnant and had a baby in all that time. So, cool. Another Buddenbrook to the pile. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.